Welcome to the Mum Break Podcast, a place where you can feel normal, get helpful information, and laugh your ass off, hopefully without peeing your pants. I'm your host, Erica, and I have two kiddos. I am not a mom expert, but I do have a zillion hours of therapy under my belt and no filter. I'm on my own journey to find happiness, and I want to help you on the way to yours. Hi guys, today I am here with Talia Prum. She is a awesome nutritionist, dietitian. Sorry, I'm getting these words wrong and all mixed up. Your actual, you are have a master's degree in clinical nutrition and dietetics. That's fancy. That is, that, <laughs> that is correct. Well, there is a difference between nutritionist and dietitian. And um, if there's if there's one thing that I, I can help clear up today, that a dietitian is uh, a person that has more education and uh, trained to work in a hospital and treat patients, whereas a nutritionist is not. Oh, okay. See, I learn something new every day. It's it's a, such a fancy title, and you have um, you do so much that I was really happy when you agreed to come chat with me today about picky toddlers. I'm, I'm excited because I could talk about that literally all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe before we jump in, you can tell everyone a little bit about yourself because I found you and hunted you down. We connected through Instagram and I love what you're doing with your page. Your posts are so different and they very much speak to me. Um, so maybe tell your, tell people a little bit about yourself. Okay. I would love to. So hi, I'm Talia. Um, so I am a dietitian. I actually went to university and got my undergrad in biology because I thought I wanted to be a geneticist <laughs> and <laughs> wow. turns out that I really didn't like that. Um, so somewhere along the line, I took this great class where I found out that I loved nutrition. And, uh, so I was like, what can I possibly what career can I have where I can just do this all the time? Um, so I, I went and got my master's in clinical nutrition and dietetics, and I love it. Right now, um, I'm a college professor of nutrition, and uh, I teach um, usually first and second years um, nutrition, which I really enjoy. It's the intro stuff. So it's, uh, I find it very exciting, and I like to be very enthusiastic when talking to my students about that. Um, you may notice that uh, I have an accent. I'm Australian and I grew up there and I've been in the US since 2012. So it's been a while. Um, some fun facts that you may not know, even if you do follow me um, on Instagram or Facebook, that um, my husband and I used to raise guide dogs, um, like for the blind. Wow, and, so cool. Uh, we've had, how many? I think we've had seven altogether. And um, most of them, one was reclassified because she was really not somebody that you'd want leading the blind around. Okay. Um, and our, our current dog is a retired uh, breeding dog and she's very sweet. She's probably snoring somewhere in the other room. <laughs> um, I also have two kids, um, a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old currently. And um, I used to train in uh, aerial acrobatics. Oh my goodness. That is the most diverse background in bio I think I've ever heard. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and something that's related that I really do talk about, and I, I think uh, Erica talks about this as well, which is postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, and I've had that with both my kids, although it wasn't diagnosed until my second baby was like five months old. So um, it's really something that I try to, I do uh, like to talk about on Instagram because I know um, a lot of other mothers either have it or have 
other everybody has their own struggles um, because parenting is hard whether you're you're depressed or not um, so that's really something that I uh, like to have it at the forefront of what I talk about because um, I like to uncomplicate things, not make them worse. No, and it's funny that you say that though, is because I think that's what one of the things that you do so well with your Instagram and one of the reasons why I was so drawn to it because how you present and your Instagram page, family.snack.nutritionist, if you know people are wondering and you want to check this out while you're listening, is primarily focused on healthy eating tips, intuitive eating, and helping parents who have children who are picky eaters. And you make it so simple. I think what I like to think about, yes, I do talk a lot about picky eating, but I like to rephrase that. um, And it's actually the first line on my bio, which is, um, let me actually read it so that I don't mess it up. I have mum brain too, guys. Um, oh yeah, never go. Apparently it doesn't stop until your kids are five years old. That's what I, and maybe you're the sciencey background. So you can just smile and nod. Yes, Sarah, okay, that's right. But five, that's so late. I know. I know. So I'm two years away from that. Well, actually no, cause my baby's only one. So I, I don't know if I'll ever get my brain back. No, it's um, gone. But I like to focus on, so my first line actually is how to raise healthy, intuitive eaters, because that really does encompass the picky eating, but like I said, I, I really do try to make things um, more on the positive and how to get to the to the, the goal that you want rather than focusing on what's negative. Because it's very easy, as uh, almost every parent, every parent knows, um, it's very easy to get stuck in the, these little uh, micro things that are so difficult. Um, so I, I, I like to look at the, the, long, the long goal. Yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in oh my goodness, my kid won't eat this apple. It's the end of the world. I need to force them to eat this apple. So intuitive eating though, what can you explain to people what that actually means? Because I'm not sure that I'm super familiar with what that term is. Okay. There are specific dietitians that focus only on intuitive eating. And the what it is, it's a set of principles um, about how we eat. And it's all about mindset that and and this is not my specific specialty because i work with the the child population um so i hope i I hope i do a do it justice explaining it but the aspects that i like to focus on are food enjoyment and really being present when you're eating meaning that you do stop to sit down when possible of course Mm -hmm. um to eat without distractions, to really enjoy your food. Um, even taking a few seconds to smell it um, and actually taste it and, and you know, connect with your brain with what your mouth is, is eating. So chewing it and you know, tasting, the, you know, tasting the tastes and feeling the textures and enjoying it um, and really being present. And that's that mindful approach that we, we also want our children to have, which is where I like to focus um, a lot of my energy, because if we can raise healthy, intuitive eaters, we can hopefully, I'd like to see us be the generation of parents that creates the new generation of children that don't grow up in this society where everything is, I need to be on a diet. I don't, I'm not happy with my body. I, you know, I have to eat. If I want to eat that, I have to exercise. Like I I really want to see us put a stop to that. And it's very rampant in our society. But even being aware of it and changing our language is something that can make a huge difference to our children. 
I love that so, so much because I noticed that my, in myself, my own personal journey with food is I had such a negative relationship with it because things like you just said, I, you know, if I exercise, if I ate, I had to exercise or if I, you know, wanted some chocolate, I would feel guilty about it. But now that I've changed my mindset around it, I just have the chocolate. I just don't binge it until I'm sick <laughs> and that's right. okay. Right. And something that I do talk about quite a lot on my feed, I do actually talk about desserts quite a lot, which you might be like, you do. I, I love it. That dessert. Um, but by not restricting things, one of my core principles is, is achieving these goals of healthy, intuitive eaters um, without restricting them. And part of that, if you've looked at my feed, would be that you actually present whatever the dessert food is on the plate with the rest of the meal. And some parents, for children, uh, children have a very different idea of dessert. And for them, it could be fruit. And um, it doesn't have to be a piece of chocolate or cake or something. It could be anything like yogurt with fruit or something that is the sweeter side rather than something savory. Um, and that would be to put it all on the plate with everything else and allowing the child to decide the order that they're going to eat their food. We, a big part of what I talk about is, is building trust with our children, like parent and child, and then also with child and food. And so we need to trust them that they can pick the order that they're going to eat their food. And you know what? It's so funny because when I think of that from the perspective of a parent, and I should have a disclaimer to everybody listening right now, is that I don't really have quote unquote, and we're going to try to avoid this term, but for the purposes of the conversation, quote unquote, picky eaters. So I'm, I'm going with my limited experience. But when I hear to put the dessert on the plate to trust my kids, I immediately think they're just going to demolish the dessert and not eat the vegetables. So how is that a fair assumption or is that something that it's then that's where the trust kicks in? I don't know. So it's a loaded question. Sorry. So I, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Um, like I said, I could talk about this topic all day long. Um, yes, that is possible to happen. And it really depends on what the climate or what the environment was like in your house for whoever, for those of you listening, uh, have you been restricting desserts or bribing with desserts or, you know, is there any sort of negative talk around desserts? Because all of those things will mean that when you, you uh, switch to this method, um, that your child may very well, they need to unlearn the scarcity of, I only get this once. And then now mum's giving me another serve of it. And because it's not being restricted, that in the beginning, there is a, a period where that will happen and to expect <laughs> that. But um, I will tell you, well, my, my baby's only one. Um, so she's not quite in the getting dessert yet. But she does have like fruit, for example, mm -hmm. um, that will all be on her plate. And sometimes she will eat literally an entire punnet of blueberries in one yeah. meal. <laughs> uh, she will usually eat other things as well. But my older one, sometimes she will go back and forth between her piece of chocolate and I don't know, her broccoli and curry, which to an adult is like, look, I don't want those two things on my plate. I don't want that on my fingers. I don't want to be eating chocolate curry, but children don't uh, have those same um, mindsets that adults have through, you know, just learned behaviors yet. So the fact that she goes back and forth between, you know, a vegetable and lamb curry and a piece of chocolate, I am 
all for that. Like I trust her and she's enjoying it. And um, so if she was to only eat the chocolate, um, something that I talk about on my feed is like mealtime roles and who's responsible for what. And you're responsible for picking the food that goes on the plate. And so if you've chosen, if you, if you know that there's a dessert at that meal, that's your choice to put the dessert on the plate and wholeheartedly do that. We have dessert, you know, regularly because my husband and I enjoy it as well. Um, so that again is the, the trust. You've done your job of making the plate of what's going on there. And then you have to hand it off to your child to decide, you know, the order and if they're going to eat. I love it though, because it, you're right. It takes that scarcity and that mindset away and that power. So I use, I'm very much, I use sweets as bribery, 100%. Mm-hmm. And it then creates that scarcity where it builds it up, right? Um, it's such an interesting approach. I love it so much. Now, you talk a lot about, again, quote unquote, picky eating, well, intuitive eating, but the fact that there's a lot of toddlers specifically out there who only stay within this realm of beige and it's a struggle to get kids to eat certain things. I know it's a huge common problem with a lot of different toddlers and, you know, it's the chicken finger moms where how many chicken fingers is too much, but how common (laughs) is actually picky eating in toddlers? So, um, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to define specifically because Different parents may uh, define picky eating as, a, as something different. Mm. Um, but I was actually surprised. The rates in one study that I found were between 13 and 22%, and another one was 26%. Which oh, my goodness. Wrong, right? Um, and this research has found that uh, about 40% of those cases are considered chronic, which was defined as uh, being a period of longer than two years. So... The important thing to realize here is there are there are things that you as a parent can do. You're in, you have so much power, really. We as parents have so incredibly much power. The way we talk about food, um, trying to move away from uh, bribing kids with any kind of food. We don't want them to associate that they have to do something in order to earn any kind of food, um, because food is something that we need to eat to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many um, mindset shifts and, and behaviors that parents can work on for the, on themselves to help their child. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of what I talk about again is that trust building um, and thinking of yourself and your child as a team rather than I need to get them to do something. Um, how can we do this together uh, is something that I really want to focus on. Again, it's that positive thing and, being a team with your child rather than working against them. Oh my goodness. My, my entire life, well, not my entire life, my entire life with children has been me trying to figure out ways to manipulate them to do what I want. I would love to be a team with them. That sounds glorious. It's, it's, um, it's hard and it takes work. Um, and if there's something that, you know, I will give huge credit to my husband here. He is very much uh, a child at heart and he will sing to them in order to help them get to the place where they can brush their teeth. And I remember with my first daughter, given also that I had a severe depression that was not being treated, um, I was, I always was like, I can't pretend that I'm happy and I want to sing her a song to brush her teeth. Mm -hmm. Um, But to be, 
very truthful when you can make things a little bit more exciting like and now we're going to brush our teeth <laughs> would you like a piggyback or would you like to skip there um <laughs> it like it is really hard for all the mums who are listening who are like i just don't feel like i can do that i truly understand because i've been there and it's like the pure exhaustion when you're not sleeping and it's okay to not be the person who does all those things even if you can make one tiny small adjustment, you know, a smile or hold their hand um, to just try and do things as a team, even in your mind, if you're like, okay, it's not my job to get them to do something, but it is my job to help them do something. Um, those little mindset shifts can make such a big difference. And it's not just about getting the kids to do things, but just also in your day-to-day -day happiness. Because um, it is hard. Parenting is hard. Oh, that's yeah no that's amazing and that, that mindset shift that subtle tweak of it's not my job to make them do something it's my job to support them and teach them mm -hmm. it, it's so powerful now thing, oh can i can i just say one more thing i would love yes please <laughs> the like the same thing where i i talk a lot about goals um and so Again, I understand this because I'm a parent with two young children as well. And I get really caught up in this day to day, like, oh, they're not doing, they're not, let, we'll just use food as an example. They didn't eat their broccoli today. And I'm just worried that they're never going to eat broccoli. But, it, you know, knowing that not eating the broccoli at that one meal, that's all right. Um, the the long-term goal is for them to want to eat it. Um, not to be forced to lick it or try a bite of it or hide it from them. Um, knowing that the best thing that you can do is to continue to ex expose them to those things um, in a positive way. So how, in your opinion, in your advice, how would you go about starting to do that for a kid who refuses to touch anything green, for a kid who maybe refuses any sort of protein that's not brown or breaded, all of those picky kids who their moms are pulling their hair out just begging that they even just try one bite and then immediately actually Aubrey does this a lot but that's it's just more of a power play she has a, a lick or a small bite and she goes ugh mommy this is disgusting like well you had just ate it yesterday so you're just trying to control me now but it's a different it's a different issue what right. is your tips and how would you start to progress down that path for those moms um well, I have a million tips uh, <laughs> well look the, one of the first things that I would recommend is to, to drop your expectations. Um, don't force them to try things because here's the thing. The child is the one who ultimately controls what they put in their mouth. Just like you were the one that ultimately controls what you put in your mouth, right? You're not going to listen to your husband saying, oh, you've just got, Talia, just eat this. It's, I made it and it's delicious. And I'm like, well, it really doesn't look nice. And I don't really want to. The more my husband tries to convince me and sell me on the <laughs> less I'm going to want it. So, true. Um, so the, one of the best things that you can do to start, which will really help you uh, be less stressed at mealtimes. And it'll also help them, um, which is just to, to stop with the commenting, which is so hard. I know. Oh, yes. Don't force them to lick it. Don't force them to touch it or try it. Just put it on the plate. Remember you're the parent. You have a lot of, power here in a positive way. I don't mean this as like you can lord stuff over them. I mean like you're deciding what 
food goes on the plate. So even if they've told you they don't like broccoli, if you're serving broccoli, the broccoli goes on the plate and start with a very small serve. My, my baby sometimes will eat like one tiny broccoli floret and sometimes she'll eat like five. So I usually start with just putting like two little pieces on her plate, like tiny pieces. <laughs> and if she eats them, you can always give more, right? But um, starting with small portions is less overwhelming for kids. But really, I think if you drop the commenting, comment in your head, but, but the more you're not even thinking about it, the, the, the less stressed you're going to be and the less power you're giving your child to say that they don't want it. I love that. So from that perspective, then going from there, let's say you put broccoli on a plate and this is going to be probably our example throughout this whole episode broccoli. <laughs> it's a good one. It sticks. I love broccoli though. Um, it's great. Broccoli and cauliflower are my jam. Toss them in a little bit of hummus and roast them. Oh, so good. I digress. I'm making myself hungry. The, <laughs> <laughs> what happens then when they don't eat any broccoli? When they haven't touched it, mommy, it's disgusting. And they haven't eaten anything for dinner, then what? Okay. Well, chances are you're giving them more than broccoli at dinner, right, Erica? <laughs> Imagine here, have a, you hate broccoli, have a full plate of broccoli. Yeah, that's all. Broccoli and that's it. That's it. So you, you want to make sure that you're serving a balanced meal, um, which will have, you know, a, a vet, at least a vegetable or a mix of vegetables or vegetables mixed into something else. Um, and I do recommend, I hate calling it a safe food, but a food that they will reliably eat. So let's say you're serving spaghetti and meatballs with a, a sauce and then a side of broccoli, poor broccoli. But, you know, you've got <laughs> a little bit of broccoli, you've got the, the pasta, you've got the sauce and you've got the meatballs. You, you've got a complete meal there and your child can decide what from there that they want to eat. And even if they don't touch their broccoli, which is again, why you want to start with a small serve, not a big one, because you don't want to waste it or you don't want to be like, you've got to eat your broccoli, it's going to go to waste. Um, but the more, you know, just putting a little bit of everything on the plate, it's their, one of their mealtime roles is if they eat, how much they eat and the order that they eat. So you have to give them ownership. Of that, that's the long and the short of it. You just have to let go. Um, and I know it's hard, but try it at your next meal. Kids eat like a hundred times a day. That's not <laughs> you know, it feels like, like it. It does feel like it. It does feel like we're always preparing food. It never ends, ever. It, I feel the same way, but that means that you have lots of time to practice this. Very um, true. So, you know, you've just got to let go that if they don't eat the broccoli, but also try in your own mind to be like, maybe tonight is the night that they do eat it. Or maybe by not saying anything, they will try it. And mums and dads, if you're listening, uh, make sure you're eating the same food. I know it's not, mm. you can't do it all the time. Like, you know, if you're at a restaurant sometimes or you're eating leftovers, everybody has their own leftovers, that's okay. But, you know, for the majority of the time, do try to eat the same foods as your child. There is actually um, quite a bit of uh, research that um, child food acceptance, meaning your child is more likely to eat that food if the mums specifically were eating it as well. Oh, mums are always the little heroes, aren't they? Yes, be the hero. Be the it. hero. You have so <laughs> much power. Like, don't underestimate how much power you have. 
That's really cool. Yeah, I can get on board with that because then it also forces you to eat better because how often do mums hover over the counter and eat leftover goldfish or leftover crusts of sandwiches? Like that's not okay. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, interestingly, I'll tell you a quick story from the other day. Um, we had made some peas, some frozen peas, and uh, we were all having those for lunch. And I, of course, had gotten my kids eating first and I was still preparing my stuff. But I could see neither of my kids were really all that into the peas. They had other things on their plate that they were eating. And when I came to sit down, I'm like, how can I turn this around? So I, I have my plate in front of me and I have my peas and I'm like, you know, have you put the peas in your mouth and bitten one? Because they kind of explode a bit in your mouth. You know what I mean? For those of you who've eaten a pea before, the, if the skin isn't broken and you bite it, it kind of makes a little explosion in your mouth. Mm-hmm. I, I explained this and I was doing it and I asked my daughter, the older one, I said, can you hear it? And I crunched it and she, you know, was all interested and she decided she would eat a couple. She put one in her mouth and was like, hmm, I wonder if I can get it to make that noise. And long story short, for the next 30 minutes, all I heard about was, did you hear that? Did you hear it? No, that was a quiet one. <laughs> that's amazing and uh, that sounds so fun and not stressful at all no it was kind of you know by the end of the 30 minutes I was like no I didn't hear it yet. Mm, I yeah. it. <laughs> you're point, like we're done we're done now <laughs> yeah I'm like I'm okay now but you've had point, enough peas <laughs> the point was even if your child puts one in their mouth and does it and then doesn't eat anymore that's still a win the fact that they're tolerating the food on their plate is still a food exposure And even if they don't eat it, the fact that you've exposed them, children need to be exposed to to the same food upwards of 10, 20 times before some children will accept it. So you can tick that off that you have exposed them at that meal. Even if they didn't eat the broccoli, it's still a win. Only 19 more times to go. (laughs) Oh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's 39 more times, but that's okay. At what point do you, you give up and say, maybe broccoli isn't our jam? broccoli might not be for us. Is, is there a time or do you just kind of keep going forever? Um, in this under five crowd, I don't like to give up. Um, if you can, if you know that broccoli isn't say a preferred vegetable, um, and let's say you've made, I, I'm a big fan of making soups because you can make, mm. I, I use an instant pot and I um, make a soup almost every week because it's a great way of just having vegetables on hand. Um, if you haven't, made anything else you at least have that um so you have a number of different vegetables that you can put in there with different herbs and spices so it tastes different and the texture might be different all these things um but the point that i'm getting at is to to serve the broccoli with something else as well Got so let's, okay. you make, let's say you make a soup you can give them a bit of soup which has other vegetables in there so they may eat that even if they still don't eat the broccoli or like a quiche or something where it's it's in there, they're exposed to it, but you're not asking them to eat a floor of broccoli. Right. And, you know, if you make, if you have a spaghetti sauce, right, it's made of tomatoes or tomatoes. Um, <laughs> you can put uh, zucchini and um, you can shred some carrot in there. You can put some mushrooms in there. Those are all things that you can add that uh, bulk up that uh, sauce. But... Don't get that confused with hiding it. I don't recommend you hide it. I mean, I always explain this to parents. How would you feel if your spouse hid something in your food and then didn't, and then, you know, you found out about it? You'd, oh my gosh. Yes. I'd be so mad. <laughs> you, you don't build trust that way. No. And we, we want to build trust with our kids. 
So one of my other tips is to get your kid in the kitchen with you because when they, when they see the food with you in the kitchen, that's an exposure. You can help if you've got an older kid, you can help, they can help you shred it or they can cut the ends off or they can pick up the shreddings and put it into a pan or a bowl or wherever you're putting it. Those are all exposures. Oh, that's genius. No, I like that. So it, those are some three good tips. So talking about dropping expectations, maybe some smaller portion sizes, get the kid in the kitchen to help. Mm-hmm. Um, the is there any, the super mom, <laughs> actually eat the food you're serving your children. Novel concept. Uh, someone once said to me and it's stuck, I don't know why, but it, it was talking about, uh, maternal health and eating properly for yourself as a mother. And they said, if you're, if you wouldn't feed your children that, why would you feed yourself that? Mm-hmm. And it, it really stuck because here I was, you know, eating leftover peanut butter sandwich crusts and deep fried mozzarella sticks and working on feeding my kids all of these vegetables and proteins and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't focusing on me. So it's a nice way to integrate both goals into one. Yes. And I, I also think like, um, if you reverse that the other way around, you wouldn't feed, if you wouldn't feed it to yourself, try, don't feed it to your kid. Um, and I don't mean like, okay, if you give your child the things on the same plate, like we were talking about earlier, like the piece of chocolate and then going back between their piece of chocolate and their curry and you're like, ugh, I couldn't possibly do that. I don't mean that. What I mean is if you wouldn't eat and enjoy plain steamed green beans for example um and you like yours with like some sauce or some spices or something to dip it in feel free to give that to your kid as well children like uh, tasty food it doesn't all have to be bland that's a really good point because i've noticed that so often when i'm preparing things for my kids i make them the sort of dumbed down version and they don't really like it they like the sauces and they like the spices i mean short of anything really spicy but yeah, it's, I, I often underestimate their ability to appreciate flavor, if that sounds right. If that sounds right. It sounds terrible, but it is what it is. A lot of parents ha- like have that. And um, we, we all like curries in our family. And um, so both my babies, before they were one, were eating curries. In fact, at my first baby's birthday party, like her first birthday party, she really didn't care for the cake. She like had a little bit of it and mostly wanted to eat the strawberries. And then I gave her a bowl of curry and she just decimated it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and it wasn't spicy, but it was, it was flavorful. So mm-hmm. another tip is to add spices and tasty things to vegetables or things that your child may not be crazy about because you'll change the taste. Even putting cheese on your broccoli is fine. It's great. Cheese has protein and calcium in it. So go for it with that. No, that's a good point. And so I know when you say that, my my mind first went to, well, my daughter would 100% just pick the cheese off the broccoli and eat exclusively the cheese and leave the poor, sad, lonely, cheeseless broccoli. But that's one of those things where then you just learn to trust her and eventually maybe she'll also nibble at the broccoli. Right. And chances are, if you do a good enough job at mixing the cheese into the broccoli, she may accidentally peel off a little <laughs> bit of the with the cheese and get a taste of it. That's not um, a, a deceptive thing I'm saying. I'm saying you're mixing the cheese into it to make sure the broccoli has a nice amount of cheese on it. And if she's choosing to peel it off, chances are she will get a little bit of broccoli in there. And, you know, she sees that it's broccoli. She's chosen to eat it. It's not, you know, it's nothing deceptive. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's still an exposure. She's touched the broccoli to remove the cheese. 
No, that, yeah, exactly. Right. That's, that counts. And I think that so often, you know, moms don't give them credit for, give ourselves credit for that because it's on the plate. She touched it. She hasn't hucked it across the room. <laughs> when? Get, like, seriously, give yourself credit. The fact that you care what your child eats and that you want them to eat veggies and fruit means, like, it, that means a lot. That, like, so, like, there are parents that don't care. So the fact that you care is really great. Um, but there, and there are some strategies that you can employ as the parent that you do control and have control over to make it easier on yourself and get to the goal that you want, which is them to eventually grow up and be somebody who chooses to eat those things. Now, can we just talk about chicken nuggets for a second? (laughs) (laughs) The reason I bring up chicken nuggets is because it is almost the classic telltale quote unquote well, we'll call it a reliable food. Like it's, it's quote unquote, it's a steer safe food, right? We're not going to use that word, but it's the reliable food for most people. If you have someone who does it, kids who don't like a lot of green things, who don't, aren't very um, confident in lots of different foods, chicken nuggets, for whatever reason, seem to be the food that most parents can get their kids to eat. Mm-hmm. So what it's, what okay how many chicken nuggets are too many chicken nuggets and what should a parent be what kinds of food should a parent be focusing on if that if they're in that situation where they're a chicken nugget parent so if if you well first of all i would encourage you and this is something that i do on my page as well which is uh, label reading how to read a food label um because there are um chicken nuggets that may have really high sodium little salt levels in them there are ones that you can pick that are still chicken nuggets but maybe have a greater nutritional value than than other ones so start there um, so that you can bring home a, a, a better version of a chicken nugget um, and remember again that you are the parent if you decide that you're done on chicken nuggets you can be done on them and not buy them and bring them into the house. But if you do have them, like there, there are plenty of things that we have um, that are our easy night foods that are not our everyday foods that we might eat once a week or whenever, you know, especially if you've got a young baby, like give yourself a, a, some credit here. It's, it's really hard and you've got to do what you need to do to survive. Um, but remember too, that you're the parent who decides what goes on that plate. So if it's a chicken nugget night, make sure that you've got you want to have a fruit and a, or a vegetable represented on the plate. You want to focus on, well, especially if it's a baby, iron foods. So, you know, dark meat, chicken, um, tofu, eggs, all those sorts of things, legumes. Um, you'd like to have that represented on the plate and you want something that is a good energy source. So mostly, most any kind of grain, for example, um, avocado, you want to make sure that you've got a number of food groups represented represented. That's really what I'm trying to say. A number of food groups represented at a meal and a snack actually. So if you're choosing to serve um, chicken nuggets that night and they only choose to eat chicken nuggets, that's okay. But I would recommend not serving chicken nuggets on a daily basis. Okay. So embrace the chicken nugget. Don't do it all the time, but serve it with multiple different things. Yes. Um, variety is really key here. So when you're building a plate, 
when you're building a snack plate, and again, something that I talk about a lot, you want to see, I like to see at least two food groups, but preferably three food groups um, on a snack plate. And at a meal, you know, go, go for broke with, if you can get all five food groups on there, do that. Um, because that's a variety. And, you know, even if your child only eats the chicken nugget and, you know, one other thing, uh, they've eaten, at least they have the option that you are providing them that nutritious meal. And it's not that, you know, if you lived off chicken nuggets, that wouldn't be, you would miss out on some vitamins and minerals and, and stuff. Um, but, but having the option there and remembering that you've chosen to serve the nuggets. And if they eat 10 nuggets at that meal, that's all right. That's what you chose to serve. You're not going to be serving them again for a few days or a week. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's a much, it's a much more freeing perspective. I, I like that. Now, we talked a little bit about, well, we talked a lot about broccoli, but vegetables in general. I, I don't know what it is, but all of my friends who have picky kids, vegetables seem to be the nemesis of the meal. It seems to be that and weird proteins seem to be the thing that are hard to get into kids. Like for whatever reason, brown things and yogurt are the easy ones. I don't know why. But how can we start to get kids eating more vegetables? Well, let me quickly just knock the protein one out here. That um, protein is found in a lot, a lot of foods. And it's most children don't have a problem getting enough protein. Children don't need that much protein, nowhere near as much as what parents think they need. So, um, you know, yogurt has protein, um, bread has protein, different whole grains have protein, rice has protein. Like there are lots of things that have protein, um, including meat, but that's just one of the many places that you can get protein from. So worrying a little bit less. But the other thing, Erica, that you were saying that, um, parents who report, you know, say that their child is a picky eater, um, has this trouble with vegetables. I'm wondering, and for you listening, I, you know, think about this for yourself. Um, do you draw a lot of attention to vegetables at meals? Because remember we talked about this whole behavior thing and the commenting and, you know, you've got to lick this or try this. If you're doing that and giving a lot of pressure around that specific vegetable or any vegetable, um, your child is going to pick up on that. Like, that's really something that we need to retrain our own parent brain is that the more we put pressure on something, the, just like your husband forcing you, oh, I, I made this and it's delicious. You'll love it. Like, just try it. Just have some. You're going to be like, dude. <laughs> take it down. I really don't want to try it. <laughs> Whereas if your husband just put it on the plate in front of you and was like, Hey, I made this today. You're probably more likely to try it. Um, so less is more. Try, try not to, 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 to comment. An example that I gave to my aunt, she was sitting next to me and she was commenting on like literally everything my daughter had on her plate. Oh, she ate this. Oh, she ate that. Oh, she only had a little bit of that. And I'm just like, I'm thinking to myself, if somebody was saying that to an adult commentary, you know, giving that kind of commentary on what was on your plate, it wouldn't it drive you nuts? Yeah, no, I, I, it would, oh, I'd be mad. I would be real yeah. mad. Keep, like, keep your eyes on your own plate and worry about your own food. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to comment that I ate my pasta first. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. And I'm going to go back and eat the other things, but you know, 
just uh, that that like, like that trust building and relationship building think about how it would feel if your husband sat or spouse sat next to you and was like hey talia i noticed that you uh, started with that meatball yeah how about that broccoli no still don't want that broccoli no oh my how God. About <laughs> right it's annoying it's an obnoxious thing if you think about it from that perspective. Like, realistically, doing that to adults would be, it's like one of those videos. I don't know, there's a whole bunch of videos online about adults acting like kids. I don't know if you've seen them. It's the same kind of analogy. I'm just picturing people doing that to us, and it's, it'd be so annoying. Yeah. This is, this is my light bulb epiphany moment that I'm having right now. So thank you. <laughs> Tr what I'm saying is, you know, children are people and think about how it would make you feel if someone was saying some of those things to you. Uh, sometimes parents don't, you know, I'm not saying that you should, your child is not your peer, you know, they're not your spouse, um, but you still want to build a trusting relationship with them and, you know, be there for them and, and you know, try a, from the beginning of kind of what I was saying here was working on what you're commenting on and trying to trying to just let some of it go. So in terms of, let's say now you've bought into what you're saying, you're all, you're excited to start intuitive eating with your quote unquote picky toddler. And, you know, dinner number one, you put the plate down with all the things that, well, you know, with whatever you're making, which you know, you have things that maybe historically have not worked in the past. Mm -hmm. And it, I, that transition is, I expect going to be difficult. How long can you expect this, you know, transition from eat your freaking broccoli, eat it right now or else you don't get TV to, you know, them starting to dabble with it. What is that process and transition like? Cause that seems very overwhelming. Um, I think, you know, to be honest, it's probably more overwhelming for the parent because it's a big change in what you're saying and how your mindset, right? It is a big mm. change. And really, depending how old your child is, if, if your child is older and you can ex sort of explain to them, I mean, I would only explain if they asked you, like, oh, you're not forcing me to lick this this time. If they <laughs> ask you, you can say, you know what, I've decided that I trust you to try it if you want to. And then just kind of leave it at that. And, you know, that's only if they ask you about it. If they don't ask you, just, just try and move there as quickly as you can, you know, with your own mindset. And just see the results because I mean, the dessert um, transition may take a little bit longer, but really this transition, you kind of lead this transition because mums and dads, you're the one that puts the food on the plate. That's still what you do. That's one of your mealtime roles. Um, but if you can tone down your commenting and your like worry of them not eating things, I think you will see results pretty quickly. Um, I will say that I do have two mini courses that help parents with this transition. Um, I've got one that's specifically about mealtime roles and how you can um, work on implementing those strategies right now. Um, and I've got one on candy and sweets um, to, to walk you through that transition because that's the one that I think um, takes a little bit longer for children. Um, but really, parents that have taken these courses i have a facebook group a private one that they tell me like oh i've started implementing these mealtime roles and already it's been like one day and i'm already way less stressed 
Oh, that's such a good thing to hear. So what I'll do from you then is I'm going to grab the links and I'm going to put them in the description. So if it feels like a good fit for someone, they can go check it out. Yeah, I, I would love that. And if you're not sold and that's totally fine, if you can come and have, you can have a look at them. There's, they're all videos. So you get to see me. Um, but I do, you know, want to walk you through it in, in the simplest way possible. And I've made them short so that you can do them at nap time or rest time um, so that you can implement them confidently, like right away. Um, that's, that's really my mission here is to make it as simple as possible for you to get the results you want, but also decrease your stress levels as the parent, because seriously, you will see the difference in yourself. No, it's just, you, even just your analogy of having a, someone sit beside me and comment on everything I could eat. That's what I do to my daughter. And she's not even that picky of an eater. She's just a strong-willed human being who decides to not do something just because <laughs> she doesn't feel like doing it that day. But it's, I do that all the time. I find myself openly saying, we, we use TV as bribery all the time. We say, if you don't finish three more bites. You have to eat three more bites. Otherwise no TV tonight. And then she reluctantly rams three bites of whatever we've tried to convince her down her throat. So can I actually say one thing on there about the intuitive eating and the, the forcing extra bites? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we want children innately can um, tune into their own hunger and fullness cues. Like they'll eat when they're hungry and they'll stop eating when they're full. And it's amazing that um, parents who have transitioned to this dessert on the plate thing will say that their child you know they gave them a muffin and they gave them you know spaghetti and meatballs and broccoli that their child ate a bit of everything they ate some of the muffin and they left some of the muffin because children especially when they don't have this fear of scarcity they will just stop eating when they're not hungry and that is what we want to continue um, in terms of like childhood obesity and adults that that don't listen to their hunger cues that's what something that we want to make that we keep fostering with them encouraging them to stop when they're full oh you're done okay i'll wash you up now um whereas that that bribing them to eat more if they're truly full um that teaches them to listen to you rather than what's going on in their own body so that's something that i really did want to mention there oh i love no that's great because even as an adult my hunger cues and having worked with a nutritionist recently my hunger cues were all messed up and i think that's because you know for years i got told to eat more eat less or eat based on other things and i don't want that for my kids at all and and seriously like mums and dads listening you really have so much power to to give your child exactly what you want from them for them you don't want them to be overeating or binge eating or saying oh i can't eat that because it's going to make me fat or whatever um these are all things that we have control over and i'm so passionate about helping parents get to the point in their own mindset where they realize this so that they can make really positive changes get the results they want for their children you have so much power. I love that so much. If people want to find you online and they want to check out all the stuff we've been talking about, where's the best place to go? Go to my Instagram page, or if you're not on Instagram, you can go. I'm at family.snack.nutritionist on both Instagram and Facebook. And um, I have my link to my uh, website on there. It's theplumpantry.com. And no, my, my last name is not Plum, but um, it's The Plum Pantry. Erica and I were talking about it. <laughs> I got confused. I had a mum brain moment. <laughs> 
I have mom brain moments all the time. It's my life. Um, but you can, if you go there, I actually have a free snack staples list to help get you started with um, focusing on mini meals, like those two to three food groups. Um, and you can join, I call it my nifty email community, which stands for nutrition info and feeding tips for you. And I send out a, an email every two weeks. So I'm not spamming anyone, but every two weeks with some different tips on a different topic um, for, for, to help mums and, and kids eat better. Amazing. So I'll make sure to so make it easy for you guys. I'll put that all in the description so you can grab the links there. Um, I w thank you so much. I, this was really enlightening to me. I, um, I'm actually really excited just for dinner tonight. And I don't think I've ever said that before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know how it goes. Maybe you can uh, tag me in a, in a story and let me know how it goes. Ooh, yes. Good idea. I'll, I'll yeah. Hopefully there's no broccoli throwing, but you know what I, for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to make broccoli tonight. I'm going to just because now I'm craving it. Maybe I'll make a little cheese sauce too. This is how my brain works. I spiral in foods that are delicious that I get excited about. <laughs> well, I'll come over for dinner at your house anytime. I love broccoli. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. That was Talia Prum from the Family Snack Nutritionist. You should go follow her on Instagram at family.snack.nutritionist. I don't know about you guys, but after I finished recording this episode with her, I just felt so empowered to not give up on vegetables and to just start thinking about eating in a completely different way. So I'm going to put in the description below the link to all of the different things that we talked about. If you want to get more information on the episodes, I save all of the episodes at themumbreakpodcast.com. But I do want to tell you a little bit about something new that I launched this week. I am recording this wrap-up section of this podcast in the midst of huh, the C word, the virus that shall not be named, <laughs> aka coronavirus. And what I decided to do was to really just focus on making things as simple as humanly possible for people. For me, for you guys, I wanted to streamline my life so that Things are so freakishly easy because honestly, to think about even adding extra steps or anything into any system or process makes me, well, not even want to pull my hair out. I don't even get to that. I just don't want to do it. It's just not something that fits into my life. So I created a one-stop digital house for all of the things that I've created to help moms. It is www.digital.mumbreak.ca. This is where I keep all of my free guides, resources, the products that I sell, the blogging products that I sell, the blogging resource, like literally everything that I've created is all in one place. Now, the reason why it's even extra simple, not because it's all in one place and you don't have to go looking for them, that's great. But also once you sign up for one, you can just click of a button and get anything else that's a free resource in there. So it's Really, I need myself, as I'm sure you do right now when you're listening to this, just to simplify the crap out of everything. So that's what I did. And I'm really excited about it because when I was going through and populating it, I was like, oh, wow, I've actually created a lot of stuff. Things like chore charts with your partners, um, my mom blocking guide, which I created a long time ago and still use to this day to organize my life. And it's all available at digital.mumbreak.ca. Okay, guys, we are just 
this is the first episode of season two. This is really exciting. Every Wednesday at 6 a.m. I'm going to keep pumping out these podcast episodes. I have the next four weeks already scheduled, ready to go. And there are some good ones of people who I had really a lot of fun talking to. So if you're listening, thank you. Go check out the new Digital House of Stuff, digital.mumbreak.ca. And let me know if you have any questions. I'm over at mumbreak, mum.break on Instagram. Bye, guys.